Namaste. Welcome to the Indian Wellness Podcast by Vitality Hours. Here we talk about all things wellness from the great Indian sciences, Ayurveda and astrology to natural beauty, alternative medicine, holistic healing and a whole lot more. Join Carol and Nadia as we explore the best tools and practices that ensure that you look good, live better and feel great. Welcome to the Indian Wellness Podcast by Vitality Hours. Today we're going to discuss what it is to eat ayurvedically and learn about the ayurvedic plate with Nidhi Pandya, who is a third generation ayurvedic healer based out of New York. Her practice is steeped on her learnings from ancient texts, ayurvedic texts, psychology and eastern philosophy. Welcome Nidhi. Let's understand the Ayurvedic plate. I know it's completely different uh, from the Western nutritional outlook wherein one looks at the carbs, macros and micros in one's plate to assess how healthy it is. But tell us how Ayurveda sees this. So Nadia, the first thing is that Ayurveda will look at the the plate second, what it is going to look at. Before the plate comes the principles and the time of the day. So if anybody asks me what does Ayurvedic eating look like, the first thing I'm going to tell them is before you even get to the plate or the table, you first assess for the time of the day. And once you assess for the time of the day, then you assess for the principles. And with that, I mean that Ayurveda really understands that how we are diurnal mammals. We are not bats, we are not uh, owls. We wake up with the sun and we set with the sun, we kind of sleep with the sun, which means that the sun really dictates how we eat and how we live. Uh, Just as when you would go to a safari, you'll always have the rangers telling you that, hey, you know, this, if, if it's a day like that, you'll see an animal like this, or they're going to come out of this. Similarly, human beings also have an internal clock that we must honor. So that being said, right, according to Ayurveda, the first thing you'll assess is your breakfast is a warm breakfast because the mornings are cool and misty. Uh, the afternoon when the sun is at its peak, so is your digestive fire or your agni, and you eat your biggest meal for lunch. Mm-hmm. And as the sun is setting and the universe becomes a little windy Mm -hmm. even your digestive fire dwindles a little bit and it starts to set and that's when you eat a a small meal right so that's the first thing you'll say so my ayurvedic plate for breakfast will look different from my lunch will look different from my dinner then comes the principles that we must look at and for the principles i say that all foods are to honor the climate of our body. I myself am actually working on this concept, uh, trademarking this concept called the inner climate. Because we have a climate within our body, we thrive, the organisms, the probiotic, the microbiota of our own body thrives best in a certain environment. And that environment is warm and moist. So all your food must be warm and moist. Uh, So that's the second thing you wanna look for is cooked food with spices and good fats. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it warm and moist. And then comes the Ayurvedic plate. And then when you look at the Ayurvedic plate, then you talk about your six tastes, Mm -hmm. which people often just think that the six tastes are just about making sure you have something sweet, making sure you have something salty, making sure you have something sour, you know, pungent, bitter. Uh, But it's actually not that. The six tastes, each taste serves a function so that you can consume your food, which can nourish you. It has a self-sustaining digestibility and the ability to evacuate. Mm -hmm. So if you want, we can further look into what those six tastes are and what is the specific function of the taste. Like the taste carries the code 
of the function of the food. The taste will give you a hint as to what is this food going to do on, in your body. And we can talk a little bit more about that unless you have follow-up questions. questions. Yeah. One is um, you need emphasis and I know Ayurveda propagates that to have a easily digestible foods like you are what you digest not just what you eat uh, but also the fact that you said cooked foods are easier to digest so are you saying that raw food is not preferred in Ayurveda? Absolutely, that is correct. Raw foods are actually not indicated in Ayurveda. In certain disease conditions, they can work for some part of the time, right? Essentially because our bodies are warm and moist. It needs to be, we are warm-blooded mammals. It's supposed to be kept warm. And the whole, the amount of heat it's going to take to digest raw food, for it to really, the amount of energy it consumes to digest raw food, because honestly, everything we consume comes out looking the same. Our bowel movements are, look the same as when I want to eat. Um, of course, unless they're, it's beet root. Uh, yeah, yeah, unless it's beetroot or asparagus, absolutely, or corns for some people. Yes. But basically, uh, the the raw, from raw to fully being processed, it takes a lot of energy from your gut, okay. and it really distorts the environment of the gut. There are certain conditions. The light enzymes, antioxidants. So basically, it's the probiotic environment that gets completely damaged, plus the mucus lining gets kind of scraped off. So if you see anywhere in the world, right, raw, anything that's that's raw and dry, mm -hmm. scrapes off moisture. And raw foods will scrape off moisture in your gut and kind of just leave it dry. And mucus lining is the most important is very, very important, right? The mucus and the enzymes, they both come together to create this nice, warm and moist environment. The enzymes are, are warm and the mucus lining is the moisture, the protection that it's required, right? And I always compare it to an oil lamp where there is a fire that burns, but you need the oil to hold it. So the mucus lining is that oil that holds it. And uh, raw foods distort that equation. Even when you want to put out a bonfire out in the world, mm -hmm. you actually take raw leaves and you throw them and the bonfire will burn out. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're doing to your gut when you eat raw, when you eat raw foods. Okay, now before we get into our rasas, um, there's something else because of you know, what you just threw out on raw foods. How can we get what how can we get our light enzymes in and our antioxidants uh, specifically C and E because from what I know those are usually gotten you know from food items that are still raw and get denatured when heated so what can we do there so I'll tell you the Ayurveda looks at the science very differently right it's very very holistic where it does not what you can measure in your lab may not exist in your your, your system and what I would rather lays a lot of emphasis in on is that if you were to actually measure nutrients and components in the lab and you could replicate on your body replicate that in your body we would actually be able to fight all disease none of us would ever have deficiencies and like you just said we are not what we eat we are what, we are what you digest mm -hmm. so you it's just to put live enzymes or to put something in an existing environment which already has its own bacteria which already has its own flora and fauna that may not always work because even that needs to find a home but when it's when our only job is to replicate the environment inside and I say the environment inside is like let's say um, I know in the US I can say it's Florida in the March it's like a nice spring environment where everything is growing right it's like a, it's like a, a temperate zone in the world where things are warm and things are moist and your own food if you eat food which has the six days and I'll tell you the functions it has the six days and it replicates that warm and moist environment 
your existing microbiota is going to do whatever it needs to do. It's going to create. I mean, this is how the yogis ate for and lived to be centenarians. Many populations in the world actually ate by these similar principles and they lived up to be over a hundred years old without ever having to measure these things in a laboratory because that cannot be replicated in your gut. Everything you consume takes energy and how much energy does it take and how does it distort your natural normal environment? These are the questions we would ask more than the nutrient component of any food item. Sure. So um, that kind of answers my question about how Ayurveda does not dissect your plate, so to speak, and you know, vitamins and your minerals and all of that. And it's more about like eating holistically as per the rasas. And what you said about the rasas not just being about eating sweet or stringent or bitter, and it's, but it's more than that. So I'd love to know how do you kind of view the five rasas? So the six rasas in Ayurveda, and I'm just going to uh, tell you what the six rasas are before we start, right? So for a you know for a very simple understanding what you always hear is oh your plate should con should contain all six rasas mm -hmm. but it's seldom explained why and what right so the six rasas are sweet tasting so sweet is madhur rasa which is not really it's your complex sugars so even your grains your rice everything which is a complex sugar gets included in that complex carbs complex sugars all gets included in that mm -hmm. then there is sour taste there is salty taste there is bitter, pungent, astringent, right? And as we go along, I'll give you examples and I'll tell you what they do. So it says all of these six tastes and we're like, why? What has taste got to do anything with health? Because it doesn't. But the taste will give you a hint. It'll carry the information for how this food is going to act in your system. Let's take the first taste, which is, which is the most important taste. It's the madhur rasa, the sweet taste, all your grains, your complex sugars. And why is that the most important? That is the nourishing, that's the building block. Till we die, we are building new cells. There's degeneration and regeneration of cells every single day. So you need building blocks. You need raw material every day. The madhur rasa will give you the basic raw material, cellular raw material. And that's why it's the most important rasa, most important taste. So which means Ayurveda never tells you to skip out on grains, right? That's your first. So that's the function of nourishment itself. And the, the function of satiation, uh, satiation, of feeling complete, comfort zone, all of that. The most important is nourishment. Let's bring in your second rasa, amla rasa, which is sour taste. The sour taste is the appetizing taste. It's appetizing, plus it promotes juices in your body. It's important. The appetizing taste is important, so you want to enjoy food. So it's created for that. Plus, it's called rudhya, meaning it's appetizing to your heart, rudhya. Mm -hmm. And it promotes it promotes, uh, it promotes promotes other enzymes as well. It kind of supports them. So they all also get moving. That's what amla rasa does. Then the third rasa is lavana rasa, salty taste. It says it's important for salt to be in your food. And it's important for salty foods because as you know, right, salt, even when it snows in the US, they put salt on the roads because salt melts the water, right? Salt is heating in general. You put salt on a fresh uh, bruise, it's yeah, going to burn. Yes. So that salt is important to disintegrate and break your foods down. So you've had something nourishing, but it needs to be broken down. Also, salt has this tendency to route things downwards. And you want to keep your food moving down. Plus, it kind of, again, salt through osmosis will promote juices to get into your whole system, in your digestive system, and it'll blend with your food. So that's salt. Then comes the fourth rasa, 
tikta bitter right so bitter and what is bitter how do you include bitter in your foods you include bitter in your foods by using uh, bitter bitter vegetables like you can say methi you can say kale you can say all of these collard greens and bitter leafy leafy bitters are usually bitters they are the drier substances so they scrape off anything extra their job is to scrape and purify so if there's any slime any gunk that is stuck to your intestinal lining to your gut lining the bitter rasa will scrape excess excess phlegm excess mucus excess of anything that's slimy mm-hmm. then comes the the fourth rasa uh, that's pungent pungent again is uh, pungent like your spices you include whatever mustard cumin cinnamon cloves and that's an important rasa because that will help you to break down it will start the process of disintegration right at the cooking level so when you cook with a spice it's going to start helping the breakdown of so you can't just eat nourishing foods the nourishing foods need to be broken down so and supported more digestive and and go through the whole passage of like mouth to anus in a way that it's broken down and nutrients can be absorbed for example bitter will also cool your body down a little bit you need to cool it down a little bit because it gets heated during the digestion and scraping happens then that's you said pungent breaks breaks stuff then comes last astringent the astringent again is like it's like a sponge which kind of dabs anything extra you know so if there's any extra grease extra oil anything extra in your system which is in its liquid form the astringent will dab it clean so then you have so once you have all of these six tastes included which will to an indian palate that will look like you can have your dal chawal with one green vegetable if you want with one fleshy vegetable with one a leafy vegetable with a little bit of lemon juice salt and uh, and you're basically pretty much set because the the, the lentils are astringent mm-hmm. the rice is madhura rasa and everything else kind of is all the other tastes and uh, so we are designed to eat a complete palate and this is how it is and i always like to explain what these individual rasas do that was very interesting cuz it's 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 um ironic how you call the madhur rasa like the most important flavor and uh, you know everything that creates madhur rasa in the body of course refined sugar we know is not good but anything else be it like a natural form a complex sugar rice is vilified so much in many other you know Uh, studies nutritional studies um so what is ayurveda study on sugar how much should we consume should we be consuming um is it okay so tell me a little bit about that so now there before that i just want to also go back to something that you brought up which was very interesting was you said that how ayurveda talks about uh, you know that how it's all uh, vilified yes uh, and so ayurveda there are two kinds of foods right there is nourishing foods and there's nutrient rich food yes we have focusing a lot today today generation focuses a lot on nutrient rich food and has forgotten the nourishing foods what we forgot and that's why you know our whole generation is about feeling older and looking younger mm-hmm. so we've learned how to look younger but we are not being able to generate the same raw material cell and that's why if you see disease back in the day was an acute condition and somebody either died or survived mm-hmm. today almost i would say 50% or more as living with a chronic yeah, condition yes. and the chronic condition is the is evidence that your basic cellular uh, cells are not being fed mm-hmm. and because we are just focusing on the nutrients but the nutrients are just cement where are the bricks you need to build what are you going to cement when you can't build well mm-hmm. so uh we we need a whole paradox shift in this there's, there's a whole paradigm shift that's required so i wanted to say that because that was very important um 
And now we now to your question, which you said sugar consumption, right? So of course Ayurveda talks about sugar consumption. It talks more about rock sugar because that is again which is mishri, mishri, right? And which is madhurasa, and um, it's a pleasing taste. Of course, not in the kind of proportions that we consume today. Uh, just the thing on. I'm going to give you my perspective, and most of my perspective is from an Ayurvedic lens. Not sure. the texts. The texts teach you how to look at a new substance because sugar, as it exists today, did not. There was not there back in the day. But the text gives you tools, a lens, how to assess that, right? Mm -hmm. So, anyways, what processed sugar does is, it's processed. It's pre-digested, so it just goes right into your bloodstream. And because your body, I say, is a 24/7 laboratory. I mean, imagine every moment your body is measuring. It's glucose levels, all kinds of levels, right? So the and it's always trying to adjust. Your body does its best job to keep things within range. The minute it sees that, oh my God, suddenly there's a sugar spike because you've had processed, pre-digested sugar, the insulin goes high and acts like it's a crisis. And once it goes high and the glucose go low, you experience a sugar low, from a sugar high to a sugar low, and you want to go back and have more sugar. Uh, because your body has an emergency reaction. When you have complex sugars or you have grains, mm -hmm. now that glucose is not thrown into your bloodstream and there is no emergency. It is a gradual breakdown of glucose. Slowly, that glucose is released into your bloodstream and you can use it accordingly. And that's a very different use of glucose. We've just vilified sugar altogether. But I think once we understand the mechanics of how processed sugar works and how different that is from not digested sugar in its whole form uh, we'll understand that it's just it's just the type of sugar you consume but of course sugar milk ghee rice all of these are very akin to life they're called jivanya mm -hmm. which means they're very similar to the basic cellular cytoplasm the nature of your cells that's very interesting because I, I understand what you're trying to say but nowadays there's such a blanket ban on anything that can even convert into sugar like rice or like even having natural forms of sugar like a jaggery it's just do not have sweet things even having fruits that are very sweet a lot of people avo avoid that so I think it's very interesting um, and, and like a breath of fresh air to hear what you had to say about sugar yeah um, so now I come to my next question for you which is um, a little bit about um, uh, you know fermented foods and sour foods it is something else that I've observed that fermented foods are not supposedly as healthy in Ayurveda as they are touted to be in let's say modern trendy diets so is, is that what you stand by so I'll tell you for me I personally always go back to the inner climate right so for example let's say you have a plant at home and the plant has, you assess the plant and you say it has a lot of water, so I'm not going to add any more. Or it has extra sunlight, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to keep it in the shade. Or if it has too much shade, you put it in the sunlight. If it has less water, you add water. So you have to assess the inner climate of your body. And um, once you assess the inner climate, you may realize that you need fermented foods. And that's exactly what Ayurveda stands by as well. Fermentation is essentially a hot process because it's multiplication of bacteria in an exponential fashion. Mm -hmm. And if you notice anything, that, that kind of is fermented. I'm just going to give the example of milk to yogurt. It becomes a slimier, mm -hmm. right? So it's more of a... So again, when we talk about the warm and moist environment, fermented foods are essentially warm and moist, maybe even hot and humid. So when somebody's gut has gone completely cold, dead and dry, somebody, let's say, who's done salads for years, 
a little bit of because now they basically are living in a cold desert mm-hmm. from the cold desert how do you make it temperate right you need to bring in some warm you need to bring in some moist in for a person like that to make you know, a hot desert into a temperate zone you can do some mud or fermented foods but if somebody whose digestive environment is already warm warm and moist and you're going to give it a lot more fermented food if you already have heat in your system which a lot of people do uh, even if it's not moist but if it's just heat and you're going to give it more fermented foods it's going to and people are experience this people are like the minute i eat fermented food i get heartburn mm-hmm. because you're already hot now you're going to go into like really summer on the equator you don't want to do that you don't want to be right at the equator experiencing summer sure and that's what you basically do to your gut when you have fermented foods when you have not been able to assess your own inner climate so i say it just depends on assessing your own inner climate perfect so i'm going to wind this up with uh, something that will kind of make all of this succinct i know ayurveda has a very um, concise list for this like foods that are okay for regular consumption like you said you know your pillars that are useful for cellular regeneration and uh, things that are nourishing as well as have the right kind of nutrients for everyday consumption and then there's a list that is okay for you know not so frequent mm-hmm. consumption mm-hmm. so can you quickly tell me uh, because i think a lot of people would imagine that rice is not something that they should have regularly because it could be something that carb it's like a easy carb or it t- t- turns into like um sugar i but i know as per ayurveda the right type is, of rice yes right right type of rice sure but also can you tell us a little bit about that you know your brown rice versus white rice um cuz as far as i know not all white rice is bad for you Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about the food items that are good perhaps for regular consumption. Exactly. To so milk, ghee, white rice for the breed that I would say today is do organic sona masuri, do mm-hmm. organic organic amba mohar. These two rice you can get in India very quickly. They are usually essentially short grain aged rice. Okay. Brown rice has a lot of fiber, very hard to break down. Yes. The shell is very hard to break down. Uh, so these foods you can have every day honey not in hot water or or anything hot but honey can be consumed barley can be consumed moong cooked well with water and ghee can be consumed your essential basic spices can be consumed every day pomegranate can be consumed every day amla can be consumed by everybody every day and so can grapes this is pretty much i would say the entire list of patthya foods which can be consumed every day there are other foods which are useful which cannot be consumed every day for example yogurt mm-hmm. it has its advantages but not to be consumed every day okay. um, so there's an the, i think every everything else would fall in that category that you consume it but not on a daily basis right uh, even wheat can be consumed every day but the wheat has been adulterated today so i think that kind of you know changes because of that reason mm-hmm. everything else you consume in moderation some of the things that you must really consume in moderation or you know even pretty much avoidable are tomatoes eggplants for some people mm-hmm. uh sprouts okay uh these are things that you basically pretty much really stay away from that you watch oh, out really for really sprouts because that's supposed to be on nutrition powerhouse like sprouted lentils or even seeds it's going that to create gut dysbiosis in, a, in uh, eventually because it becomes you know it has so much latent heat mm-hmm. if you notice that suddenly the sprout has a moment when it kind of pops right mm-hmm. so it's carrying this kind of potent latent heat within mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and when you get the sprout at that 
you know and it's it's that just fertilized state it's a lot of heat and um and if you even keep sprouts outside for two three hours they'll start smelling because they ferment very quickly so sprout makes your gut super humid as i said that the warm and moist environment is great the hot and humid means parasites means mosquito if you even see outside in the universe the warm if it's the minute it's hot and humid there are parasites there's mold there's weed there's all so of these balance things. between warm and moist and hot and humid not so at all hot and humid you don't want hot and humid is pitta side. hot and humid is pitta cold and humid is kapha mm-hmm. cold and dry is vata mm-hmm. you come to warm and moist you're completely balanced and centered So you can't go either ways, and I and I always use examples of land of climates, you know. And is it, is it easy to avoid this uh, um, kind of achieve this warm and moist, you know, like space Absolutely. for us internally? Absolutely. I mean, like this is like, like I said, right? This is the concept that I'm. It's right now. It's sounding so tricky. Not this. Not this. This is you. So you're saying it's actually simple. Super easy. It's super easy. You just pick warm and moist foods, well spiced, good fat. Keep it simple, and that's all. we make it overly complicated it's very simple yeah, i think that's the key not yeah. to overcomplicate yeah not to overcomplicate it With that, we wrap up the episode for today. Thank you so much, Nidhi. It was wonderful. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. Do check out all our other episodes with Nidhi on demystifying doshas, Ayurveda for men's health, and Ayurveda on the vegan diet. 